Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I bring you insights and lessons from players, coaches, parents, and experts who are ingrained in the world of high-level tennis. Today, I chat to the recently retired Bradley Clan, a former US Boys 18 number one NCAA champ and who saw a quick rise to a career-high ATP 63. Bradley joins me at an early 6.15 a.m. before he kicks off his working day. We chat about the advantages of college tennis as well as the benefits of going to college, how he dealt with multiple injuries and surgeries, deciding to end his pro career and the transition from tennis to an office job. We find out tennis isn't an easy sport mentally and physically, but it can prepare you for your life ahead. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast partners, ASICS, who make the world's best tennis shoes, in my opinion. Now is a great time to check out ASICS.com to treat yourself to a nice early Christmas gift. I personally recommend the Solution Speed. If you're a coach, the Resolution 9s are a great shoe. And then there's the Functional Tennis Shoe of the Year, the Court FF3, as worn and developed in conjunction with Novak Djokovic. If you have any questions about the shoes, please reach out to me. Okay, here's Bradley. Bradley, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Great, Fabio. Thanks for having me on. Sorry to have you on at 6.15 a.m. your time. Uh, It it, it can be be tough for me getting the energy up at that hour. So uh, thank you very much for making the time. But uh, things are a bit different for you now. You're not going to be hitting the practice courts. What are you getting ready for today? Yeah, today, just uh, heading back into the office. Started uh, five weeks ago at Monograph Wealth Advisors which is a wealth management firm based in LA. I majored in economics when I was in college, got my degree in four years at Stanford. Always thought that I'd go into that realm. At at some point in my life, I had wanted to give pro tennis a shot. I wasn't, you know, I look back and in college and you tell me you're going to play professional tennis for 11 years, I probably would have looked a bit quizzically at you, but uh, here we are. <laughs> Did you not think back then? So, so you were like USTA, you were number one in the States. You won the, you won the NCAAs. Uh, so you were not completely like, you know, you're big hopeful for the, for the U S and was there not a bit of you to say like, I'm going to be like a, a top 10 player, top 20 player. Did you think like that at all back then? It was a, dream but i wouldn't say i thought like that i went to public school all through high school i education was always important in my family that was you know i would say it was a, a strong point of emphasis coming from my parents and I'm, I'm very thankful for that they wanted to raise well-rounded well-balanced kids and you know it was a discussion even when i was at stanford I won NCAAs my sophomore year, and it was like, well, are you going to turn pro? You've won NCAAs. What else is there to do? And it's, well, you know, we'll support your career. Uh, if you need your degree, you know, you have a scholarship from Stanford. That degree goes a long way <laughs> um, after tennis as well. And I realized I was 21 when I graduated turning 22. I was still young. It didn't feel like that necessarily then. I think when I came on tour, you're starting to see more guys retire in their early 30s, whereas now you look at the pro tour and 
that Djokovic has put up an insane year at 36. You, know, you see more Manorino had one of his best years, if not his best year. And you're seeing guys play later into their 30s. Um, so there's a lot of time, like graduating school at 21, there's a lot of time that I didn't, I realized I didn't miss out by feeling like I had to turn pro at 19 and gain all this experience. And the experiences I had in college, those friendships I built, the lessons that I learned just to help me mature on and off the court uh, have served me very well. Yeah, no, I, I have some Irish friends who would have, I'm not sure if they're your time, James Kluski ring any bells? I know James Kluski. You probably know him from the tour, not from. I'm not sure he went to Louisiana. There's a few, there's a few though, but they all, every one of them, like they all got good colleges in the states, good universities. They all absolutely loved it, and the lessons they learned from there, they say, yeah, had they never played pro tennis after university, they still thought it was the, one of the best moves they ever made, and like they all love it. So you must get asked a lot of questions by younger kids, probably by their parents, say. Oh, should my kid go to college? Should he not? Should he turn pro? You probably get asked that quite a bit, do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am always a proponent of college tennis. I think, you know, I got asked, like, how do you do it? You go to Stanford. Obviously, the academics is very important there. You see a lot of players who go to Stanford and then they realize there's this whole other world out there for me to explore. And maybe tennis doesn't become the focal point. Maybe they want to do something else. And that's perfectly okay. That's what you go to college for. You go to explore and how to best, you know, craft and, and dictate your own narrative moving forward. But if you want to go pro, the resources are there. When I got to school, my freshman year, like anyone feeling out college. I love to compete. I love tennis. I was trying to find my way in school as well. You're surrounded by incredibly intelligent people that are starting companies, just all walks of life. It's, it's just intellectually stimulating. And about, I would say, my summer of freshman year, start of sophomore year, I was like, okay, I want to actually play professional tennis. I'm, this is what I'm going to do post-college. And so I started to structure my days, making sure that I got what I needed to do to continue pushing my tennis forward. You have to balance school. You have to balance the social life. It's important. That's You learn so much about interpersonal skills in college and interacting with so many different people. But I, I knew that I wanted to play pro. And so I started trying to shift my training like that. And the resources are there to be had. For me, it was a lot of self-motivation. But I think this notion that you, you can't go to school if you want to be a top pro is also starting to be disproved. John Isner, Kevin Anderson were two great examples for me when I was starting the success that they had. But not, I mean, now you look at Ben Shelton, top 20, practice top 15 in one full year out of college. Cam Norrie, top 10. Stevie Johnson, who has been my peer and close friend for 20 years. We've known each other since the juniors. You know, 
hovered around 20. So uh, you're starting to see these examples that I think will help show people that, no, this is actually a viable path. And I'm excited to see that. Even Joe Salisbury, I saw him play there last weekend at the tour finals, won them. He came out of Memphis, like great yeah. player, world's best, won the world's best doubles play, has been world number one. Like, so yeah, you're right. There, there's so many examples now that it's clear, but is there a line you draw? Like, is there, is there certain, you know, certain ranking or of a, a junior player that you say, oh no, okay, you can go pro now. Would you have a line like that where you just say, look, don't go to college. You're good enough just to hit the tour now. And in a few years you'll be top hundred and move on. You know, I think it's, it's hard for me to draw a line. And I look at a guy like Milos Raonic was my year. We played some doubles together. He was thinking about going to school. He was an okay, like a, a decent junior, but not a, I would say not like a generational talent junior. Didn't go to school, three in the world. Like, can't argue with that decision. He knew what he wanted to do. He worked hard. He's an incredibly brilliant human. Like, So it's hard for me to say, like, this guy should go to college, this guy shouldn't. I, I think it's... At the end of the day, it's a little bit of personal preference. And if you like, I'm pretty risk averse. <laughs> I was trying to like not push all my eggs in one basket and, you know, always worried about the future and okay, what happens? What happens if I get injured, which unfortunately happened quite a few times. Okay. Well, I, I need a, I need a plan B. Like, what do I do? Like this degree will help me where some people like they don't want to go to school. They just want to play tennis. Uh, and they have the mindset that they'll, they'll be fine. They'll figure it out. And you know, it's different. It's different preferences. It's there's different ways of looking at the, the puzzle. I, my only hope is that it's college isn't looked at as a, oh, if I go there, then I can't make it. It's it's shifting that narrative where college is a path, just like going straight to the pros at 17, 18. You have to pick which which path is right for you, but both are viable. Oh look, it, it look makes total sense to me because uh, you know, if if you're one that, let's say you are will I go pro or go to college, it means you're probably a good player that you, right. you're thinking of going professional. So it means you're going to get, you're probably one or two or three in your age group, no matter, in, in your country worldwide. And if you're one or two in any country, you're going to get one of the best colleges in the States. They're going to be reaching out for you to play there. And you can train then for four years. You have unbelievable facilities, no cost. Like if you're training your national center and you're not in a big country, they don't have a good setup there. The weather's probably cold. You know, you probably don't have the right practice partners. And all of a sudden you can go somewhere you know, you can say, okay, I'll go pro afterwards, but it gives you this foundation to build upon and you have everything, you have physios, gyms, trainers, and then you can play the futures during the summer or during the right. winter. So I, I see it as a very, for somebody who wants to be a professional tennis player and is good already, it is a nice stepping stone and that won't burn them out in a few years because grinding away in the futures tour, going back to your shitty base, let's say it can be extremely hard. We probably can't even afford a coach at that stage. So that's, I'm, I'm leaning towards that a bit more now. Yeah, I, I agree. I, 
I certainly like that path. Uh, you know, it's not for everyone, but I enjoyed, I think about myself at 18 going, being a part of a team that is, those are now still my closest friends. We just went to a teammate's wedding a month ago and everybody's in different stages of life. A lot of guys, I've been out of school 11 years. Most of my teammates are married, starting to have kids, but you get those like, as guys get married, it's a team reunion and everyone picks up right where they left off. Just the bond that you forge in the morning workouts, the practices, those 12 guys, you don't get that on the tour necessarily because it's so competitive. Yes, you have, some guys are closer to each other than others, but there's not, you know, like you have Davis Cup, Billie Jean King Cup, United Cup, like there are starting to be these team events, but that's, a week a year and then you're back to competing individually whereas we had four years of working for a common goal so i think that really helps push uh it helped push me just being surrounded by teammates a lot of these coaches the the schools are taking kids to play futures challengers during the school year now also so you're able to play guys are leaving school and they're already three or 400. So that, that has changed. They are starting to make it, you know, you're not missing out. And I, yeah, I look at myself at 18, wanting to go to like hang out with my teammates on a Friday and Saturday night and being social and going to football games versus going and playing a future. And that, personally, that probably would have driven me off to her a lot sooner than, um, I did. There's a lot of, you could argue, there's a lot of tennis players out there lacking some social skills as well. Like, so that is one important element you get from going to university, mixing with the other gender or the right. same gender, whatever, and just being a team environment that your social skills become a lot better. And it prepares you a lot for the future after tennis, having those social skills where you feel comfortable and confident and whatnot. But question for you, was John Morrissey on your team at all? Did he play tennis there? Yes. I was going to ask you about, uh, so two of my good friends were John was a freshman when I was a senior and John's older brother, Paul Morrissey was on the team and he was two years older than me. So I got both Morrissey brothers played do- a little oh, doubles yeah. with John my senior year. Yeah. I, 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 of all the Irish players, John's probably the one I know the least, you know, the least, uh, yeah. he traveled a good bit and, yeah, but he, they were good guys, great tennis players. And I think he went on to do medicine, did he? Yes, yes. He's, yeah. uh, he's now in I, Boston in residency. But no, nah, the Morrissey brothers, I only know, I know they have a few more in the family, but those two were teammates of mine and just awesome guys. A lot of fun to have around and great teammates. That's what the Irish bring to the table. <laughs> a bit of fun. And who else was on the team? Do we know anybody still on the circuit? No, I was the only one that really played after college. So uh, one of a couple, of, I guess one of my closest friends on the team was Ryan Thatcher. He's also in medicine now. He and I were the same year, played doubles together for three and a half years. Alex Clayton was another very close friend of mine on the team. He played before actually got to about eight, 900, um, top junior, won the U.S. Open in doubles in the juniors and uh, and played on tour for a little bit before, went to college 
analysis and venture capital. Nice, nice. And you can come out of Stanford with a, a religion degree and get a job in finance. <laughs> like to take anything you come out of Stanford with, there. You, all you need to put is Stanford in your CV and you seem to get any job you want. It's crazy. Like, uh, so it's a good school to go to. Yeah. It's, it's really inspiring to see all my teammates just doing amazing things in so many different fields. Right. And so you went, uh, so you, f- you finished university, you decided I'm going to give this, well, you'd already had decided you want to go professional and had, what you got to about 65 in the world, was it? Yeah. My career high was 63. Back in 2014, uh, it was, I'd say it took me about a year to find my footing on the tour. I was, I I rose up like, I didn't have a meteoric rise, but I I was inside 200 within a year of, of leaving school. I, I was, I prided myself on just being a consistent performer. I, I, I still I didn't lose a first round match for the first six months of my I think it took me until February of 2013 to lose a first round in any tournament. So I just like that was always something I had prided myself on was mentally showing up. You know I always had a saying and I don't think it was original. But the fir- first round was never about the tennis. It was always about who wanted it more and who was willing to to get gritty and compete. And, and that's really what I prided my, my career on. And, but I could never push through. I would get to the quarters, the challengers. I was, it was like a, a wall there for the first year. And I remember having a really tough first European trip. I'd never spent much time on red clay before I had played on grass just for two tournaments in juniors loved grass but there's still a learning curve i did seven straight weeks in europe on my own and i just remember being fried by the end of it just absolutely torched like what am i doing um this is not what i expected of the tour and had some good discussions like some some tough love but really good, hard discussions about what my game was, what I wanted to do, how I was approaching it. And I was like, all right, let's, we wipe the slate clean and we get to work and came back on the hard courts and turned it around. Finally broke through that quarterfinal hump, made two finals and won my first title at the challenger level that summer, uh, which gave me the, the US Open wild card. So they have a playoff basically where it accumulates the most points uh, through a five tournament stretch. Take your best three out of five, gets a, a US Open wild card. Same, same thing for Australia and the French reciprocals, but won that, started, won my first round, and it was like, well, here we go, and was able to carry that momentum through the rest of the year and into the start of. 2014 uh, and break the top 100 and get to my career high. Coach wise, did you have a coach? You know, I, the first year I worked with a lot of different USTA coaches. Uh, there was not one that I never felt like I was assigned to one particular one for 
a period of time, it was it was hard to, I guess, build some rapport and really feel like I had a direction. I think that you know, looking back on that, just realized how important having some stability on on that front was for me, and that also played a part. Uh, summer of 2013, I started working with Stanford Boster. He had been he was at the USTA. He worked with uh, Bjorn Fratangelo, Mitchell Kruger, and Stan and I had done two weeks. He was filling in for another coach for us in Bordeaux and Paris. Uh, we worked really well together. Uh, it was he loved to work. I loved to work. We were up. You know, we were hitting the practice court at seven thirty. We grab a baguette on the way to the courts, get a little carbo loading in and just get to work when no one was there. And I think that mentality, like we bonded over that. We started working together full time in July and we worked together for the next, um, pretty much for the most part, the next four years. Uh, Obviously there's a large chunk missing with an injury break. there was a period of time in 2014 where we weren't working together. He was traveling more so with Bjorn and Mitch. Um, but then I started traveling with him again at the end of 2014. So you left college. You had a good start, pretty good start. Most people would would do a lot to get up to 65 in the world that quickly. Right. So you're showing potential. You're good. You're good. You're solid. You can win matches. You won tournaments. And right. then what happened? Injury creep in. Yeah, uh, I had, so over the course of my career, I had three back surgeries. I had my first one in college, came back pretty quickly from it. Um, And then, yeah, it just started creeping in. When I got to my career high, actually, when I was March of, I guess February, March of 2014, I'd hit 63, but just started having a lot of, back pain again um missed missed the entire clay court season went over and played the french but wasn't wasn't fit um went through wimbledon like just really struggled injury wise and things started popping up went to wimbledon and just wasn't winning matches figured i'd get back on the hard courts and that was where I had made my big run the the year before. And uh I get back on the hard courts in my first I went and played a challenger in Binghamton because I just wanted to get some matches before Atlanta at DC and sprained my foot and was out for until Winston Salem. Uh so just like it was just a struggle. It was one of those where, you know. I was almost call it like the second year slump a bit where injuries creep up, you know, you break onto the scene and you're still learning how to, to navigate the tour. And, and now you have to navigate the pressure of defending the points and, and keeping yourself in a hundred. And I was just magnified by the fact that I'd missed so much time. So I felt like I, I missed all the clay court season. I generally felt pretty good on grass, but I had some tough grass court opponents there and I wasn't confident to begin with. And then you go on to the hard courts where 
that's that's that was hands down my best surface. I had my best results there. There's no, I've run the numbers and it's, it's hardcore. <laughs> well over half of my points have come in, you know, that, that stretch and, and then injured there. And, uh, it just, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of compounding factors. I was frustrated. I, I didn't feel well. I knew that my level was there, but when you can't train, you're not healthy. It, you know, it's, it became psychologically tiring and just kind of limped through the rest of the year, went down to Australia. Um, I tried to make some changes in my game, was adjusting the string. I went to Australia and I was just, I called Stan. I was like, Hey, I'm coming down on my own. Can, can you help out? Uh, went back to my old string, won the tournament. Like, all right, we got some momentum going again. The we had a rain delayed final Monday. It was and they had back to back challenges in Traugen. I had to play the next day, and I tweaked my back a little bit in the the final. And the very next day, back was done. Um, trying to play through it. It's one of those. I've certainly learned my lesson over the years. I tried to play through injury a little bit too much. Um, you know, always thinking that I could work through it and realizing that it's a, it's a long career if you keep yourself healthy, but the, uh, the best player and is, is an available player, not one on the sidelines. And I, that really did my back in. I tried to play the first couple weeks of 2015. I couldn't, get out of bed, couldn't walk, would loosen it up before um, and try and play. But yeah, I got back home from that first trip to Australia. Everyone saw it. I just couldn't, I couldn't move. I was in so much pain. So got on the operating table. Um, and then a lot of ups and downs. Thought I was going to be ready in five months. Ended up being 21 months. Uh, before I competed again. Well, it it must be really stressful, and you know, I can't imagine how stressful it is. Twenty one months is a long time where you're off. You were off the court, and you know, not being able to train, and it must be kills kills your confidence, does it? Yeah, it's you know, it, it's something that was really interesting looking at recovery time, and obviously with each with each surgery, there's more and more physical scarring, but there's also more and more mental scarring. And there's more fear of, am I going to do this again? What is this? You get older, you just start college, you're, say, young, dumb, and free. But there's just like you've had less experiences, less, maybe a little bit less fear. Whereas this, with each successive surgery, I started to think about, okay, well, what's this going to do to my quality of life? after tennis and there is going to be a life after tennis as we all know at best like you've seen some doubles players play into their early 40s most singles players mid 30s and that's a long career so there is going to be a long life after tennis and what's that going to look like can't predict the future but those those fears started creeping in a lot of doubts on 
I've done this my whole career. I love competing. I love playing at these tournaments, but what does that look like? And is it worth it? Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of time alone, that's not productive. I think that was one thing that actually really benefited me when I was recovering from surgery in college was you had a built-in support system. Uh, I live in a fraternity house. We had nine guys on the tennis team. It was a much more like athletic social. We had a lot of baseball and, and tennis guys in the house. And it was, you know, you just had that like built in safety net or social network. Okay. I, I'm out with surgery, but my roommate in college senior year was going through an AC, like was on the football team towards ACL so we were going through rehab together. It's like you, ha- you just around more guys. You have a little bit of a protection and school as well. And then you go on tour and you get injured, and it's oh now what? Like, do I go get another job? How do I tennis? Tennis like consumes me all day, every day training. It's a job, and now it's taken away from you. It, now you need some productive ways to to still rehab, but you can't spend if you just sit there and spend your time worrying about it and it really drives the headspace down south. I can only imagine. And when was the day that you decided uh this is it, I'm gonna plan my retirement, I'm gonna finish up in X time? Uh, you know, in twenty twenty two I had my third surgery during COVID, missed all the 21 season, was really trying to get back. And it was less, when I had that surgery, it was more, I want to retire on my own terms. I had only retired from one professional match and it was in 2020 in Croatia when I threw my back out and struggled to walk off the court. And I did not want that to be the way I ended my career. I still wanted to get back and play a lot of these events. 2022 comes around and I'm, I've been rehabbing for 18 months, 16, 18 months. I don't remember the time. And I just, I finally hit a breaking point. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm hitting my head against the wall. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stop at the U.S. Open in 22. I was like, well, can you even get there? It's like, well, it's whatever. It's three months. Like, I still have protected. How bad can I hurt myself? And a funny thing is I started to relax a little bit. I enjoyed going to the tournaments more. And then I threw my back out of Wimbledon. And I was like, oh, my. I'm not even going to make it to the U.S. Open. And I, I changed my – I completely changed my training. I was like, you know what? I've been to LA for seven years now. I called uh, Richard Woodruff, who's a f- fitness coach in Florida. I've known him through his work with Shelby and just been on tour. I called him I was like, I need to do something different. Can I come down and do a two week training block with you? I had not played in four weeks since Wimbledon. I, like, I just need to, I need to get to the US Open. Well, I go down for two weeks in Florida and I'm playing DC two weeks later, having not hit in four weeks. Oh, I feel pretty good now. 
I, so I was still going to retire. I get to the US Open. I get to San Diego. Why am I going to stop if I have, I'm feeling as good as I have in a while? So I took the fall off to make that decision. I didn't want to rush into it. I was in All-American Cup playing uh, in San Antonio, which was a fun team event. I was like, you know, I still have seven, eight protectants left. I'm healthy enough. I'm not going to get this opportunity again. Just go enjoy this year. There wasn't a ranking goal. There wasn't, you know, I need to get a certain result. It was, let's find some places that I've never played before and enjoy it for one more year. I'd never been to Acapulco, check that box, got to go to Australia, play some of these events again. And then my knee went in Indian Wells, Miami. And it was at that moment where I was like, all right, summer, like, this is it. Like I, I tried to get back for the summer. I did what was, I was told was a 16 week rehab process on my knee in 11 weeks and healed pretty, it healed pretty quickly. It held up and I was able to play Atlanta, DC. Uh, but I, everything, everything just started going. If you're not in shape, if you haven't been able to train the way you want to, when you get out and compete, things just start hurting. I, I pulled an ab. And so I knew that it was going to be this summer. And I woke up the day before Stanford. Uh, I was hoping to try and play the U.S. Open and, and retire there. And I, I woke up Sunday morning. I was supposed to play my first round Monday night at Stanford. And I was like, this is it. This is, this is a full circle moment. Uh, it's not going to be as cool as this to retire at the court that like, drove my desire to, to play pro tennis. I, I had people that have shaped me through the years, able to watch. Uh, Stanford as a whole has shaped me as a person in so many ways that I, I can't recount them all on this podcast. And like physically, I'm done. I don't want to get up and do an hour of rehab before I play anymore. Like just end it here. And that was it. Next day you know, limped through my final match and called it a career. You you lost, did you, unfortunately? Yeah. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, is it? Because you probably say, I'm going to retire tonight, but if I win tonight, then you're on again. It- yeah, I mean, I, I knew that like I was going to retire this week. It was not like that it night, but it was it was that week. But I, physically, like, physically, I probably wouldn't have been able to play a second round. I didn't practice really the day before it was one of those where you just bandage yourself up and you sound like you've had every injury that a man or woman could possibly have you've had them all you've ticked all the boxes you know it's it's a physical sport and uh, hats off to the guys that are able to just keep themselves healthy and again like i said i think i i learned a lot you know, I think some of the injuries were self-inflicted wounds, just overtraining, and 
wanting wanting to be in shape, but also just always wanting to do something and and stressing about it. And I, you know, I think you look back and you realize that it's it's a hard balance because you want you have to push yourself, test your limits, but you also need to know when to when to scale back and and really understand that it's, if you play your cards right, you work hard, but work smart, you can have a 10, 15 year career. And that's, that's what we're ultimately all after. Yeah, true, true. And so you retire and was, the, what was the plan then? Was, were you going, I'm going to have to get a job in a while? Did you ever think of coaching? What was on your mind soon after retiring? Yeah, I, in Miami, when I knew that I was going to need a few months off for the knee, I really started to drill into, and this has been a process over the last couple of years, right? Like I, I've, in the back of my head, I've been thinking about this, talking, had countless conversations about what I wanted to do. I started commentating at Tennis Channel last year. Love that. Still hope to continue doing that for the foreseeable future as well. Their studios are right uh, 10 minutes from my apartment. And I love that aspect of the tennis and seeing it from seeing the sport from a different lens and being able to use my analytical mind and just break down matches. That said, I also knew that I wanted some experience outside of tennis and not just in the sport. The sport has given me so much. I've been playing for 22 years now and I'm very fortunate to have these amazing experiences, but I, it comes back and <laughs> a well-rounded mentality that I had instilled and, and really gravitate towards. I wanted to learn a different way. I wanted to see a different industry. You know, even the first five weeks of working at Monograph, I start to, it's helped me actually reflect on my career and see things maybe that I would do differently or things that I did well. And what lessons do you learn from business that are applicable to tennis and vice versa? Because when you're in the sport, it's easy to get tunnel vision, but you do realize that there are many parallels between tennis and business and life. That's why I think tennis is a great teacher in life. Now, how do we kind of marry the two and, and continue to, I guess, progress myself forward? What less, what learnings did you bring from your tennis career into your day job now? I'm not sure if it's too early to answer that, but I'm curious to know if ten, what tennis taught you that's going to help you move forward. I would say, you know, two things that come to mind are competitiveness and discipline. Competitiveness looks different now. It's not going out in front of 10,000 people on at the U.S. Open and, and competing one-on-one. -on -one. It's setting goals and, okay, I need to get X amount of reports done by 
and set a lofty goal. Like, okay, I need to get it done by today. And it's like, all right, we got it. We have to get to work. And, you know, failure is not an option. <laughs> like this is happening. And so I think that's one way. And then just the discipline that's required for me in tennis, it was doing the rehab every day, doing the proper warm up, the discipline on court, what you're focusing on in your game. You take that over to, to work and it's much more mental. It's obviously it's not the same physical um, work, but Mentally, it's a lot more difficult. And for me, adjusting from being outside to working in an office, making sure that I stay disciplined each day, understanding the tasks at hand, what do I need to accomplish, and making sure that those get done. I think that's it's, it's applicable in whatever you do. And it's something that I've enjoyed trying to turn into a game in my new role. So... My final question was sort of related to that. How, how do you feel? How do you feed the the inner beast in you that wants to be competitive and you know get hyped up, big crowds? How, how will you feed that beast moving forward? You know, it's it's something that I've. I think the transition has really helped me accept my my tennis career for what it is and understand that it's a part of life. It's not my whole life. It's, uh, you know, it gets you really understand this idea of temporary versus permanent. And when you're in the tennis, you think it's, it's the end all be all. And it's, it's everything to me and so consumed by it. And I get into the working world and I'm, I'm with amazing coworkers that are are so generous with their time and helping get me up to speed, but also motivating me because I've seen the work that they're doing. And you realize it's, it's just different. Like I'm I'm not going to get that experience of playing and you know playing center court Wimbledon again, and that's okay. Like that. That was a past life for me. Uh, I will be able to look back on those memories and tell stories forever and um, always look back and enjoy it. But that doesn't have to, I guess my life, it doesn't need that. I, I, don't, I don't need that to be happy. Uh, I enjoy the stability uh, that right now that you, know, you you don't always get that in, in tennis and you know you get the you get the highs and you get the lows in tennis and more lows than highs <laughs> yeah it's you know it's that incredible roller coaster and it's those highs that keep driving you but there's there's a lot of lows too and i'm i'm just really enjoying the the transition to I don't know what the right word is. The normal bits. Yeah, normal. You know, it's all when I'm playing tennis, like I thought that was normal too. And then you, you see the world a little differently in, in your mindset shifts, but you know, have a great family to, to see over the holidays and, and spend so much time girlfriend and, and dog that 
you know, keep me busy at home and just grounded and able to see, I guess, friends more that, you know, I think it's just able to reconnect with more friends now that I'm in one place. So it's like, I've said a lot about it, but I know it's not going to be easy. I'm five weeks in to a completely new profession. Uh, There will be ups and downs like there are in tennis, but it's the, the pro tennis chapter of my life has closed, but not the tennis chapter. Like tennis is always going to be with me. Will you play any exhibitions? Are you, are you, are you still going to play a little bit of tennis? Can you still play? Like the girlfriend asked you to hit a few balls. Yeah. Oh yeah. We go out and hit. She played in college. So we'll go hit on the weekends. I still do pro-ams. I will get out and hit as much as I can. I'm looking forward to picking up golf again as well. That was something that I had to put on the back burner. I went with the back, but you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm excited to do that weren't, I wasn't able to because of pro tennis and I had no issues making that sacrifice then, but uh, that was then and this is now. That's good news. Bradley, uh, thank you very much. I look forward to, to you conquering the finance world and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you on a pro-am court soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Bobby. I appreciate you having me on. Hope you enjoyed that chat with an early bird, Bradley. Tennis is not an easy sport mentally and physically, but as Bradley says, it can help you prepare for the life ahead. And when your tennis career ends, it's not the end of your life, it's just a new chapter. And wish Bradley all the best in his new career ahead. Bye.